Welcome to the 5-Minute Expert. This is your host, Art Fuller, Ph.D. Our sponsor this week is Philips. That's F-I-L-L-L-I-P-S. Not to be confused with Philips. Philips are the makers of premium Botox for lip plumping, used by actresses around the world to get that full-on trout pound. If you want plump, full lips, try Philips. Now on to our show. Check stripes and polka dots. We wear them every day. We see them on others every day. But how did they come about? Interestingly, each of these fashion trends was either illegal or frowned upon in times past. Polka dots. In the history of Western dress, clothes with spotted patterns, unevenly spaced because they were hand-sewn, were originally taboo because they resembled various skin diseases, including bubonic plague and leprosy. But by the 18th century, dots began to gain popularity. Several sources report that Beau Brummel, the ultimate dandy, and those who followed him frequently made use of dotted patterns in their scarves and other accessories. There is a connection between the so-called polka dot in connection with the polka dance craze that swept across Europe and North America in the first half of the 19th century. Stripes. In the Middle Ages, wearing stripes was a dangerous act. In 1310, a cobbler in northern France was condemned to death because, according to local records, he had been caught in striped clothes. At that time, striped clothing was considered demeaning, pejorative, or clearly diabolic, and was worn by social outcasts such as prostitutes, jugglers, clowns, and cripples. A group of Carmelite monks donned brown and white striped cloaks. Their dress was thought to be inspired by the prophet Elijah, who vanished into the sky on a chariot of fire, leaving behind a habit singed with brown stripes. When the monks arrived in Paris from Palestine, their uniform earned them the nickname Les Freres Barres, or Barred Brothers, and they were assaulted wherever they went. They resisted 25 years of orders from 11 successive popes to give up their cloaks, but were forced to find an alternative when Pope Boniface VIII banned striped clothing from all religious orders in 1295. Bold stripes went on to become inmates' prison uniform in the U.S. in the 1800s. Horizontal stripes in black and white were adopted to signify the enclosure of the prison cell and made its wearer easier to identify should they succeed in escaping. By the way, women prisoners were not given striped clothing. Many states in America began to abolish the graphic uniform early in the 20th century as its use as a badge of shame was considered undesirable. Checks. There are so many check patterns. Gingham, Prince of Wales, window pane, just to name a few. We're going to stick to a big picture view of checks and focus on plaid and tartan. Tartan refers to the unique cloth patterns which distinguish one Scottish clan from another. By the original Scottish definition, a quote-unquote plaid was a Celtic kilt or blanket which served as an outer layer to battle the highland elements. Plaid, as we know it, was created by British and American manufacturers as a patterned fabric which resembled tartan. The fabric was held in high esteem. King James V actually gifted his wife with several bolts of this material. Tartan, on the other hand, was actually forbidden in Britain during the 18th century. The Dress Act 
passed in 1746, made tartan or a kilt illegal to wear because of its association with the Scottish Rebellion of 1745 against the Union of Scotland and England. The print didn't really resurface again until 1782 when it became legal to wear Highland dress to formal occasions. During the 19th century, the pattern made the leap from Europe to the U.S. where it became known by the moniker we know today, plaid. Midwest company Woolrich Woolen Mills gave plaid's popularity a boost when they originated buffalo plaid in the 1850s. Buffalo plaid's distinctive red and black checkered pattern became a staple among those in outdoor professions, most notably lumberjacks. Clothing company Pendleton debuted a mass-produced plaid shirt for men in 1924, which became an instant casual wear hit. In 1936, flannel caught its next big break. During a particularly bitter winter snowstorm, the little town of Cedar Springs, Michigan began to produce its own red flannel, and the print began to take root as a winter staple. Pendleton responded to the upswing in interest by debuting a female version of the shirt in 1945. Here's a quick couple of to-dos and don'ts for wearing these patterns. Number one, don't wear the same size dot, check, or stripe in different clothing items at the same time. In other words, a short and pant with the same width stripe looks weird. Probably a little like a scary clown or a convict. Number two, the size and spacing of dots determines the formality of the clothing item. Large dots equal fun and casual. Small dots equal formal and serious. Random space dots equal artistic and rakish. Symmetrical pattern dots equal predictable. Three, vertical stripes make you look tall and thin while horizontal stripes make you look wide and fat. Four, check stripes and polka dots can be mixed and matched, but do so carefully. The patterns should be as different as possible or else you'll end up looking like a walking optical illusion. Larry, what do we have in our mailbag this week? Jose in San Diego writes, I heard your podcast on spam and also on regifting. Is it okay to regift things like spam? Jose, this is an interesting question. Generally, if you're regifting food items, you have to be concerned about the freshness date. The great thing is while Spam does have a best-if-used-by date on the can, it's virtually imperishable. The stuff keeps forever. So if you're short on gift cash but have a can of Spam that's less than 10 years old in your pantry, go for it. Joyce in Jamestown, Alabama emailed us to say, I'm a budding country music songwriter and was greatly encouraged after listening to your podcast on writing country songs. I want to write real songs about Southern subjects and truth. I'm working on one now. wonder if you might suggest a rhyming line as I'm kind of stuck. The song goes, You stole my heart when I met you. Joyce, since you're wanting to write about Southern truth, what about a line like this? I can't believe you also love kudzu. Well, Larry, if you think you can do better, why don't you step right up to the microphone here? Larry suggests, I'll play my ukulele if you want me to. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't think that's any better than my line about kudzu. (laughs) Lastly, John in Tightwad, Missouri says, 
I appreciate your bringing to light the fact that some people eat Play-Doh. I have eaten Play-Doh myself ever since I was three or four and have developed several recipes I can share with your listeners if you'd like. I have a killer shrimp scampi and red Play-Doh recipe to die for. John, feel free to send your recipe, and if we get any requests for it, we will certainly give you credit. There, he can have all the credit. I don't want anybody thinking we condone the consumption of Play-Doh. Anyway, that's all we have time for today. Tell one person about the podcast. You'll feel better about yourself for doing it.